it's beautiful to see that we're not beholden to our past. We can write it. We can be an actor, but we can also be the director and the producer. Welcome to the Path Podcast. I'm Mike Salemi. I believe that uncharted trails make the best life stories. So take a deep breath, put one foot in front of the other, and trust the ground under your feet. Join me in discussions on health, performance, business, leadership, and spiritual self-mastery because these topics are windows into how well each of us have learned to trust our own path. Let's go. This is a Soul Fire production. Today on the show, we've got Kyle Kingsbury. Kyle is someone who has a very deep and extensive athletic background. So he played football in college at ASU. He was also a fighter for the UFC. He's a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And when I think of someone who just epitomizes the potential of human optimization, Kyle comes up the very first in my mind. But beyond that, Kyle is someone who has a beautiful, massive heart, gives so much of himself to the world. And in this conversation, where I really wanted to go was the topic of psychedelics and the use of plant medicines. Because both as an athlete, but as well as as a father and really showing up in the world to be of the utmost service, plant medicines have played a huge role in Kyle's development as a person and as a man. And I really wanted to pick his brain and hear his experiences because he's worked with so many incredible shamans from around the world, really experienced different traditions, as well as rites of passage that also don't include plant medicines. And so we go through all of that in this podcast. And one of the most probably enjoyable things for me was how amazing of a storyteller Kyle is. And he shares so many stories in an unfiltered way that it really just made me so excited just to, to dive deeper with him and understand more about how these experiences have shaped him. Because what you're going to get to hear is not just the light side of plant medicines, but some of the shadow sides as well. And what can happen when you don't use them in a sacred setting and how different it can be when you do use them in a very intentional way. And some of the most important things that he's learned as a man, life lessons, and really some suggestions for how to approach them in a more conscious way. So I hope you enjoy this podcast. It was so much fun to record with Kyle. Let's get right into it. So good to see you, my man. It's always a pleasure, brother. It's nice too, because it's like close proximity. I had a, there's been so many quick synchronicities like uh, Dr. Nathan Riley had actually, the guy we were talking about, Hamilton Souther was just on my podcast. He had podcasted with him right after I got to sit with him in Sedona. And he's like, dude, you, do you know this guy, Hamilton Souther? And I was like, I just sat with him in Sedona. And he's like, I just podcasted with him. He got a podcast with him. And I was like, done. So I, I hit up Hamilton and then he comes on the show like two days after the fact. But when Nathan was in town, I was like, come on the podcast. It's the easiest way for us to have a conversation because, you know, being around the kids, like there's... <laughs> this is really I'm like, recently. Look at this. Look at this. Yeah, it was like last week, right? Like, there's no real conversations happening in the household. So I shot him over here, and I were podcasting. He was talking about how he had just had such an amazing conversation with you mm. about fatherhood and everything going on. And I was like, oh, that's the fucking best. And I was like, God, I miss Mike. And then you like <laughs> show up the very next week. I was like, yes, let's go, Salimi. Let's go. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I, man, I have so much appreciation that someone like. Dr. Nathan exists in this world, you know, getting to spend, we went on that hunt together, but we had decided to hang out two days before just to like drop in. We recorded, but it was really just to get to hang out. And, uh, you know, we met each other first when we were together at Paul's birthday. And so when we got to drop in, man, it was just instant connection, got to spend so much time. I learned so goddamn much. And he's just someone who I'm really 
and, and obviously we're all different, but like in, in a way how I've been blown away with you since I've met you in many regards and we'll get into that. Man, someone like him, I'm just like so grateful that he's in this world and doing the work that he's doing and really showing up courageously. Like, holy shit, does he show up courageously and an advocate for his people and for what he believes in? It's beautiful, man. Yeah, yeah, he is one of a kind. He does remind me of like a young Zach Bush, you know, because he's got the, the hospice <laughs> care coupled with the birthing, right? So it is a little bit like Zach's story. And of course, he's into regenerative agriculture and, and not the same soil science as Zach, not at that level, but he's into all the things. And he's also a checky. You know, like he, that's like fucking a unique combination for somebody who knows how to deliver babies and, and the ceremony that it is bringing, bringing children into the world. He's, he's absolutely special and one of a kind. He freaking delivered Paul and Angie's baby. Like, mm -hmm. oh my God, dude, what? Yeah, just incredible, man. Well, also on that note, you know, when I was thinking back to before coming into this, we've known each other now for, I think, close to five years. And one of the coolest things when I was, when we first started connecting, you had recently finished fighting. And one of the things that we had talked about, I think when almost the first time we met and there's a painting right behind me that actually inspired this conversation when I was thinking about, there's so many things that we can go into today. And I was like, where do I want to go today? And one of the things that I really am super curious about is I haven't had any discussions up to this point, really deep dives into psychedelics. And I know and this is where I want to really start off with your initial experience with that started as an athlete and started to, whether it was performance and we'll get into that, but I'm really curious when you were in the UFC or at least fighting, what was your introduction to the use of psychedelics and how is that, well, I want to get into how has that served and changed and morphed uh, to where you are now with that? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I had a fairly small handful. I remember like most of the kids that offered me psychedelics in high school looked like deadbeat druggies. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to fucking wind up like this guy. It's summertime and he's wearing a beanie, you know, like this doesn't make sense. He's shopping at Hot Topic. I wasn't into it. I don't want to turn into that guy. They probably ended up doing okay. But what were the types that you were doing in? in you know, like skater crew, stuff like that. And yeah. I got nothing against skaters. I love Jason Ellis. I love Tony Hawk. I love, I love the sport. I love watching that crew. Uh, Andrew Huberman for a skate crowd, you know, from San Francisco, like nothing wrong with that, but it just, it wasn't the same as a jock, you know, in school, I had my people and they were a different crowd and it didn't mean I couldn't hang with them, but I just didn't want to turn into that. And if that's what it meant, then it was like, no, it, it, there wasn't an interest there. And I think on a deeper level, I knew there was more to it than just hanging at a park. You know, mm -hmm. maybe there isn't right. Maybe it is just hanging at a park. Like Hoffman says, just be outside. This is the only recommendation <laughs> on, on LSD is just to be outside. But um, yeah, I had two, what you would call the exact thing you don't want to do experiences where I combined alcohol, was at a house party, that kind of stupid shit. shit. So I learned very quickly um, what not to do. What I didn't realize was like the power of them, right? I didn't realize like the potential with the right set and setting. And then I stumbled across this when I was in college. We went to Sedona. I went to, I went to Arizona State. So we drove up a couple hours north to Sedona and we had all the bad drugs. You know, there was no real container set. Um, doing coke, drinking beers, doing stupid shit at night. And then the next day I made us all an omelet with mushrooms baked into it, right? With so psychedelic mushrooms yeah. baked into No yeah, way. So like, like, Only you, bro. And it's not great. Like it was like Jimmy <laughs> Dean sausage, cheese, a bunch of shit you wouldn't want to combine on a medicine journey. And, oh no. And mushrooms. It tastes like a really, really good omelet, you know, but I put a decent amount in it. I put, a, put about an ounce in for a small amount of us. 
and they're cooked. So it broke them down a little bit, but then it ended up being like my first real spiritual experience mm -hmm. on medicine where it was like, it was very oriented towards God. It was very oriented in, into poking holes in some of the beliefs that I was raised with. And that was my only experience. Um, years went by and I got an MMA and after my first loss living in Arizona, I had a number of people tell me, you got to go home. You got to go back to the Bay. Train with Kane. Kane was at it, AKA he had wrestled at Arizona state. Obviously there's so many guys there that became world champions and great people. And my parents were there. My family was there. Everyone I knew was from there. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna head back. I lived in my dad's and started training there. And then one of my first boxing coaches at AKA was a guy named Witzelin, which is an Aztec name for the hummingbird. And he was great. I mean, he's like as tall as my wife. He's like fucking five foot, even five, two, Tiny. <laughs> maybe five, two. <laughs> right. So you can see how they call him the hummingbird in boxing. I think he competed at 95 pounds and 105. Itty fucking bitty. Right. He became a cut man in the UFC. Uh, after cornering me, he switched primarily over to being a cut man and was a cut man up in Bellator up until he passed away uh, a few years back. But just an amazing human. He'd bring me and all the other guys out, whoever wanted to, to a Native American reservation in Northern California for traditional sweat lodge. And um, we would work with the Anipi, North American. We'd work with the Tamez Call. He was building that out because of his Central American roots. Can you share quickly, what's the difference between the Temescal and the Anipi? I'm not... Yeah, it's really, really structure of, of, of how they build it out. So in, I mean, there's, there's definitely differences in which prayer rounds go when. Um, a sweat lodge is going to be four rounds of seven rocks. So you bring in these uh, rocks one at a time till there's seven, doors close, water goes on, the prayer round starts. And then round two, the door opens, you bring in seven more up to 14, then seven more up to 21, and then up to 28 for the final round. In Central and South America, not really in South America, but in Central America, you have a dome made out of concrete. It's like, it's like cinder blocks, you know, mixed together. So the heat in that fucking stays. Mm. right and if it's hot outside <laughs> it's holding heat already you know like it's its own it's its own thing the drumming in those i find to be some of the most profound because it reverberates like you're in a sound chamber you know when they start drumming and singing in that and you're singing with them like I, that in and of itself is an altered state um, but the anipi is amazing as well and, and the anipi has been used you know cross-culturally within uh, indigenous peoples in north america and that used to be um a very bendable wood which ranged from location you know, it's not like you had shipping and shit like that. They'd use what's local and then usually cover it with uh, animal hide. Mm. So this would mostly be bison, you know, that would go over that, that and just layers and layers of bison to trap in the heat and the water. And it is truly a ceremony. It is absolutely a ceremony. It's anytime you would do a vision quest, four days, no food and water, you would enter into that with the sweat, with the anipi, and then you'd go to your vision quest, having come out of the sweat mm. without having anything to drink. So you kick off four days, no food, no water with a proper sweat lodge. One of my teachers, Dr. Will Tegel, who recently passed away, talked about him going through like an eight-hour warrior sweat before his first vision quest. Holy Just bananas, shit. right? So Wheatsy, Wheatsy would tell me, you know, all he'd talk about all these different traditions. You know, he'd talk about it, um, some of the differences, like we just covered, the differences between the anipi and the Timas call, the OG vision quest. You know, he's like, I give you a knife and I come see you in four days. You know, and I'm like, what the fuck is that? He's like, hey, you know, in case you need to protect yourself. And I was like, okay. You know, and then other, other traditions, you, all you have is tobacco prayer ties that signify your space. And, and you hope those prayer ties are strong enough to keep out uh, predators that might come get your ass, you know? <laughs> and depending on where you're doing, I mean, you could fuck it. People have like Tim Corcoran, he's had experiences with grizzly bears. 
Um, there's plenty of things like that. Uh, I had a recent experience with a cotton mouth snake that I can get into later, but it was like that level, like fucking like <laughs> five fight, I'm going to the hospital. Mm. So Huizzi was awesome. He'd tell me about all these things. And it took us a couple of years to really build rapport. He told me in 25 years of going to that reservation, I was the first white guy he brought there. And I just laughed out loud. I was like, why Huizzi? I was like, you're not racist. And he was like, it took me a long time to not be that way. Because when he was young in San Jose, there was a shit ton. I mean, there's still racism now, but you know, he would run from groups of white people who were going to beat his ass. That's what got him into boxing, basically, just so he could defend himself, you know, but he would fucking run. He'd outrun them being a little marathoner just because, you know, he didn't really fit in. He didn't fit in being mixed. He didn't fit in with Mexicans, nor did he fit in with indigenous because he was something in between the two. And even there, he didn't have a home, right? So um, that really resonated with me. You know, the, the, the fact that he had said yes to bringing me to this place meant a lot to him and it meant a lot to me. And he brought a lot of the guys out, John Fitch, Kane Velasquez, and, and we'd do those sweats. And after a couple of years, I was, you know, he told me about so many things. I'm like, coach, when are we going to use La Medicina? <laughs> and he just burst out laughing. He's like, I've been waiting for you to ask, you know? And so I was like, cool. So we started working with, with psilocybin mushrooms and, you know, akin to the warrior sweat, that most people will never do. That's eight hours and, and on purpose done to fucking kick your ass. He hooked up some pretty warrior doses. You know, like my first ceremony with Tosh, we split an ounce. He took two caps out and let us split the rest. And that is a lot. That was her first time too, right? First time and she looks at me and I'm my first time doing 14 grams, but I remember looking at it and I trust Weetzie fully, you know, mm -hmm. to this day, I trust him fully guiding me uh, when I'm on medicine. I know he's there now, but you know, in that moment, we're chewing so so much and so long. And before we go in the sweat, you know, the sweat just... The, these are not powder. These, <laughs> these are you yeah, are chewing the chew straight She's through fucking half a bag. And, oh, uh, no. and, and she looks at me like with chipmunk cheeks. She's like, well, it seems like a lot. <laughs> I was like, no, 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 no. This is normal. It's totally fine. I was like, Weetzie's got us, you know. Um, but just, uh, you know, he knew, you know, like, like uh, they say ayahuasca, you know, the, the curandero doesn't pour for you. It doesn't look at me and say, Kyle, you're 230, Tosh, you're 115. Uh, you get half of what Kyle gets. Ayahuasca pours itself through the vessel that is human, right? Mm. And they let Aya pour herself. And I think in many ways, Huitzi knew exactly what we needed and when we needed it. You know, and he was a terrific medicine man. And uh, really with that context of set and setting and, and the prayer that we learned through the sweat, you know, he really taught me how to work with the medicines. And then I had a friend go to Peru and um, Taik Machu Picchu, and I was talking with him about it. And he's like, hey, man, he calls me from Peru. And he's like, ah, I got a choice to make. And I was like, what? He goes, well, I can go to Machu Picchu or I can drink this stuff called ayahuasca. And I was like, never even fucking heard of that second option. Go to fucking Machu Picchu, dude. That's why you went to <laughs> Peru. And he's like, no, you need to look at this. And so I pull it up on Arrowhead, which is a really cool drug database. And, I, and it's like the apex of, of plant te teacher plants. Mm. And I was like, oh, shit. I was like, well, it's like, this might be a lot for you. Uh, it's your choice, you know? And he ended up just hiking Machu Picchu. But from there I was peaked. And I remember asking Huitzi to come with me to Peru. I was like, hey man, I don't speak Spanish. I need an escort. And he goes, I'll bring Peru to us. So he found like the, <laughs> the right, you know, the right curanderos to come out and, and, and pour medicine for us. And our first 12 journeys were, were local. And How many years ago was this, brother? Mm, I want to say I was 30. 
So on the dot, 30 or 31 at the latest when I started working with all these. Okay. So it's been, you know, I'm 40 now. It's just been, it's been 10 years, but it's been a, a fast 10 years. A full on Yeah, it's 10 been a full years. on 10 years for sure. Yeah, um, you go head first in, in everything you do. Yeah, yeah. And with space, you know, I mean, there's there was a point where I was doing it every month and I kept being told to do yoga and meditation for my ayahuasca. It was like my main download, uh, meditation, and I could feel the results of meditation. So I would show me meditation. I'd see a dude sitting in meditation. I'd feel peace just flow through my body. Like, holy shit. That's what that is. Okay, cool. I'll meditate. And then yoga and I could feel my body just open up. No tightness. And I was like, oh, like all my muscles are breathing. <gasps> oh, okay. I'm doing yoga. <laughs> Go back to fucking life. I don't adopt either practice. Go back to ayahuasca a month later and it's like yoga, meditation. This time without any feelers. Just like, just do this. I'm like, all right, cool. What, what else? No yoga, meditation. I'm like, okay, okay. All right, I promise yoga, meditation. That's it. It's all I got. And then it's all I got the third time because I was still dumb enough to not having practiced <laughs> yoga and meditation. And I was like, I think I need a break from the medicine. And, um, you know, it's, it's different for everybody when you need that break. But for me, I took a couple years off and really started to practice the things that I needed to practice and, um, worked with a little bit more psilocybin in that time, but still with like a solid probably a year with no medicines and then psilocybin for a year periodically and then uh, back to ayahuasca and just kind of working with all the medicines. But uniquely, ayahuasca has the ability to teach you how to work with all the plants. And, and that was the case for me. It seems to be kind of a running thread. If you read something on Arrowhead, you, you see a lot of trip reports that have a similar flow. Uh, death of the body, you recognize the immortal nature of your soul or what consciousness, whatever you want to call that. Um, but you're not your body. That's a common, common one. And then kind of this, this ability to communicate with it as it's its own consciousness, right? Mother ayahuasca, that kind of thing, which was unique to me at the time. And then as I applied that to psilocybin, rather than just I took a drug that's going to open me up to God, like I can actually work with uh, these plants or fungi or whatever, whatever the thing is, even the spirit of LSD. Yeah, LSD has its own spirit. You know, Interesting. If egregores are true which they are. I don't what know is if it from no, not familiar with that. Uh, is a book that came out recently that talks about like the spirit that gets created from anything that has a big enough movement. So there could be a spirit, the spirit of women's rights that came along on board as that huh. movement became bigger and bigger and bigger. The spirit of on it, the spirit of Google, right? So these egregores grow based on the intentions that set the prayers that are sent in building this thing. Hmm. And then at a certain point in time, when it's big enough, it takes on its own, it takes on a life of its own for better or worse, right? Which is uh, self-affirming and can do things and direct its followers in ways that, uh, I mean, then maybe that's stretching it for some people, but if you read the book and you've done ayahuasca, you'll get it. It makes a lot of sense on why we see some of these corporations behaving in certain ways, but that's a whole side topic. Anywho, you know, being able to communicate with all the various plants and even the spirit of LSD, which does exist, has allowed me to have a better relationship with them. You know, and if I'm seeing something or having an experience that's challenging, I can actually uncover rather than trying to avoid. I can ask like, okay, LSD, why am I looking at this right now? And then start to get a deeper understanding as I, as I say yes to it, not resist it. I get a deeper understanding of why I'm being shown the thing that's, that's hard. So, you know, Quitsy, he, he fucking set the table for me. I mean, I love that guy. I got a hummingbird. I just got, finally got 40, got my tattoos started. I'm getting a big sleeve and a lot of them are the spirit animals that have communicated with me. You know, it's a, it's a beautiful, it's going to be fucking rad, dude. Heidi, uh, my girl from Pepper Service that's been doing it. She's just incredible. But I have a hummingbird that's full size, like right on the inside of my arm. And I, I was laughing because, you know, I, I let her artistically select where everything was going. 
and it doesn't feel good on the inner arm getting a tattoo just you know heads up if you guys are thinking about it inner arms a f- really fucking tough one crooked the elbow really tough one but she placed that there and I just started laughing and she was like what's so funny and I was like you knew to put like one of the most special like it had to be right where it was going to fucking hurt the wow. worst you know it had to be right there but that's how important it is to me and I always think of Wheatsy he's always with me in every journey I've had crazy experiences with hummingbirds, you know, in, in real life, sober consciousness, you know, like the day bear was born. I know I've told you that before, but the day bear was born. He came two days early. I'm watering plants in my backyard because I was living in my mom's garage when I was fighting. And this hummingbird comes up to me at fucking like eye level, arm's length. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, this is cool. And I'd done medicine. I'm like, all right, this is something. It's meaningful. It's something. And it's more than just you hanging out with me, like thanking me for watering the plants. You're trying to tell me something. I couldn't figure it out. So it leaves. I go to the front yard, start watering the plants. Now it comes back with a second one. No. And I was like, dude, what the fuck? And I just get flooded with emotion. I'm like, I, then I verbally say it out loud. I don't understand. I know it's important, but I don't understand what you're trying to tell me. And the second me finished leaving my mouth, I could hear cheering from them. I could hear like, congratulations. I could hear today's the day bear's going to be born. And I was like, what the fuck? Holy shit. And I I remember running, like tears rolling down my eyes. I ran into the garage. I was like, Tosh, Tosh, bear's coming today. The hummingbirds just told me, she's like, what the (laughs) fuck are you talking about? I'm like, I promise you, I promise you. And I explained the whole thing. And she was like, wow. And she started going into labor. Maybe I generated that, you know, maybe me talking about it, got it started, but that's how it went down. He came at 11.02 that night, you know, and, and Dr. Will Tegel on that first vision quest he did, the hummingbird is what came to him. And through the flapping of the wings, of course, no food, no water. He's t- highly tapped in at that point. On his fourth day, the hummingbird reminded him because there was no teaching, you know, it, it, it retaught him what he called the mother tongue. Mm. And the mother tongue is the, the ancient language that most of us have forgotten that transcends all species, plants, and everything in between. It's the way we can communicate with each other. Like the beast master, you know, it's not like I command this tiger to do my bidding, but like you can communicate with all things when you remember the mother tongue. And that was his download that became a whole book from a hummingbird, right? So I meet him and we're talking about these different experiences and, um, you know, Bear's my son, Bearheart Williams was the elder that taught him all this shit, you know? So he's just like little things like that kind of line up. And the you're synchronicities. Like, yeah. You're like, oh, cool. All right. We're, this is meant to be, you know, really fucking rad. Up to that point, you know, and we're obviously still in your early days and there's no way even a conversation remotely could even come close to describing one experience oftentimes on this stuff. So this is obviously a, uh, <laughs> as abbreviated as it can get, but at the same time, I'm really curious at that point in the early days, what was Tasha's experience of whether it's her first dream, but also just having a partner like you in the early days who goes so deep and goes all in on this stuff? Because I think it's really fascinating as especially if you have one partner who might be not, not ahead of the other, but these things take you deep. Yeah. And so your partner in some way, shape or form is along for the journey or is not or respecting from a distance. So what was her relationship to you going through this stuff, especially early on? Yeah, that's a great question. And it actually, my previous relationship was with, uh, my college sweetheart who played center at ASU and we were really big into partying. ASU was the number one party school in the nation. I was into all the things, all the bad things. You're playing football. You're playing football. Then I get into fighting. Like I'm King Dick out there, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and it was cool. Like everywhere I'd go, free drugs, free cocaine. Get Kingsbury, let's Kingsbury, let's go to the bathroom. And um, that's fun for a certain point of time. But then 
I, it started to wear on me, especially because I was fighting professionally. You know, so it would take me weeks to recover from one bender where I'm up till five or 6 a.m. My cardio would tank. I could get sick, that kind of stuff. And it was always in between fights. I never did shit during my fight camp. I wasn't good enough to do that during fight camp. But uh, fight camp, it started being very polarized, you know, much like we're living right now where I'd have eight weeks on, I'm meditating every single day. I'm reading books. I'm not watching TV. I'm not playing video games. I'm not doing anything. It's all on how do I educate myself to be better? It's when I started diving into Kelly Sturette's work, Paul Check, you know, significantly. A lot of these things, I started making that like my primary information because it was going to help outcome, right? If it helped me recover, that helped outcome. So that's all I do. And then after that, I'd, I'd fucking let all things fly. I'd fucking eat Burger King, fucking, you know, doing all the bad <laughs> drugs, all that shit. And then as I, you know, we lived in Arizona, I'd go back to California for these camps. So I lived in two different worlds and I'd come home. And eventually I was just like, after, you know, some journey, which was no particular one, but after some plant medicine work, I was like, I think I'm done doing that, you know? And she wasn't down to try it. And then the kind of the writing was on the wall, you know? And so it was just a matter of time. Actually, had the writing a, was on the wall in the sense of uh, it wasn't going to work. We were growing apart, and we had significantly yeah. grown apart, you know. And I couldn't. I was too chicken shit to to really look at it. And I'd won a second fight of the night, and I was getting ready to buy, put a down payment on her wedding ring. Oh wow! And uh, I ate some mushrooms, and with a, with a friend, went and saw Green Lantern. Huge mistake. Don't take mushrooms at the theater. Oh, no. And certainly don't watch Green Lantern because it's dog shit and it's even worse on mushrooms. But we get out and they're still active and it's a full moon and I'm walking the dog with them. I'm like, man, I don't think this is going to work. He's like, what? And I'm explaining the relationship. And he's like, no, it's going to be fine. I get home. That was like one of the first major prayers I had ever made where I was like, God, if this is going to work, let me know it. If it's not going to work, let me know it and do it and make it so blunt and so unavoidable that I can't just write it off as happenstance. Like make it so perfectly blunt that I get it and I can see the truth because I don't want to be five years into a marriage with kids and have it fail. I want this to work, you know, whatever. If we're not meant for each other, we're not meant for each other. The very next day, unprompted, she breaks up with me and I'm just like fucking chin on the ground. Holy shit. And I was like, wow. And she's sobbing. We had a joint bank account living together, everything. We were all butt married. She's like, aren't you sad? I'm like, yeah, but you don't get it. Uh, I had a down payment on her wedding ring, all these things laying it out. And I made this prayer. And, and in that moment, I understood that she had the courage to see the thing that I couldn't look at. I knew it was there, but I was too chicken to do it. And um, that was cool because it really felt like for the first time in my life, I had made a prayer that was answered in real time you know, and probably potentiated through the, through the, the, the psilocybin. Like it was a deep prayer, you know, but it was, it was an open one. One thing I knew when I was getting ready to be with Tosh before she came along, I started planning. And this is something I teach people about relationships. Whatever you're asking for in your partner, you have to fucking embody that. And that for anybody who's done work, like guaranteed, you know, that it's nothing new, but if I want somebody who's willing to change and willing to grow and in a practical sense, read the books that I'm reading, those kind of things. I had better damn sure read the book she asked me to read, yep. right? I had better meet her halfway and, and, and grow in the same ways. If she's asking me to try a fucking dance class, I can't scoff at dance class and make her lift weights with me. Like I got to fucking get out on the dance floor and she can lift weights with me, right? So I wanted somebody who would grow with me because I had saw how, how we had grown apart and we get together and it's fucking awesome. And there's a lot that's not awesome in part because I was still drinking like a fish during these fucking off my fight camps. I'd fucking party like an idiot. And she's, you know, I just had her finish, you know, uh, how do you move me healthy? She's like, I don't understand. There's like, there, there's like 
contradiction here, Kyle. Like you fucking eat all organic, you do all these things. And then after the fight camp, it's like, you just destroy yourself. Like, how is this healthy? That's not healthy. There's no part in Paul's book where he's like 50, 50, he says 80, <laughs> 20, 90, 10. He doesn't say 50, 50, like fuck's wrong with you. Right? So she was the first one to start calling me out on this shit. And um, I thought she was a fucking nag, to be honest. Mm. And then it, it was like uh, one of the ayahuasca journeys. I became her and I relived every argument we had ever had. I think it was my first vision actually on ayahuasca. Hmm. And I had gone without her because she wasn't, she's like, I don't want to puke. I don't want to shit my pants. You go. And if it's worthwhile, then I'll go to the next one. And so I'm there like very first vision. I fucking become her. And I relive every argument we've ever had in our entire relationship at that point. But as her. And as I'm saying things, I'm saying it in a way where Kyle gets it. And simultaneously as Kyle, I hear what she fucking meant in every argument. Man, like. It fucking got me big time, you know? And I realized like in every, every argument we've ever had, there was love. She loved me and wanted me to feel that and just wanted the best for me because she loved me. Why destroy yourself? Anybody who's been with a partner that self-sabotages, you can see it clearly. You're like, don't fucking do that. It's not good for you. But when you're in that situation, you can't hear it, you know? But it just fucking, it fucking hit me like 10 levels deep into the heart. And I was like, wow. And it came back. I couldn't talk about that experience without crying, bawling for like two weeks, you know, snot running down my face. And I had many other incredible moments in that first journey. But needless to say, like the, my first journey with ayahuasca, everything leading up to that had prepped me for that. It was in a category of its own. And um, she had never done any drugs at all. She had had like somebody dosed her with a cannabis cookie in college. That was it. Never smoked pot, never done anything. Grown up pretty conservative, uh, Christian background. And, but she'd always been interested in mushrooms. You know, she thought like, God put these here. You know, they can't be the work of the devil. Like, why would they fucking be here? You know, like that kind of thing. And, and so she was open to it. And her, it was, it was awesome on 14 grams, man. We had this entire, the reservation has no running water. There's no lights. There's no casinos. There's no nothing. There's no power on it. It is pristine land, unadulterated. And, um, we went for a walk, me, her and Weetzie. And these two foxes came up and started following her. They weren't following me. They weren't following him. They were following her. And every time she'd stand, they'd stop and sit right next to her. It was fucking Cinderella level shit, like Disney princess stuff. And for her to feel that connected to nature, which she always had, but like on that visceral level where they were her pals, they were going to fucking hang with her the whole night. Um, that was really important. And it was a full moon. It looked like we were standing on the moon. It was so damn zoomed in. But every little piece, I remember her laughing about a blade of grass, like it's fighting so strong to stand up. You know, it's something <laughs> <laughs> fucking blasting off laughing like, oh my God. Um, but it, it's, it's the ability to see things that we, we take for granted. We don't notice, you know, there's a lot of that where somebody's like, oh, that's stupid or meaningless. It's like, no, it, it meant a lot because she could witness in the finest detail, everything working towards the light, everything trying to do its best, everything trying to live, you know, and end up being a, one of, obviously a very powerful experience, but it, it, it was a lot for her. And it was a very beautiful experience. And for her, one of the main takeaways was she didn't, you know, like when you yank the curtain back you don't know what's going to be there. Everybody's got skeletons in their closet, right? right. So like when I yank the yep. curtain back, what's inside of me? And what she saw was joy, you know, because she had been through a lot of pain in her life growing up. And to pull the curtain back and to feel all that joy that that was there and that was the interior of her design, she was really fucking happy because it was like, there it is. There's the love. Oh. I got that, you know? And um, 
you know, she hasn't done quite as many journeys as me, but she's done a lot. And, and she's a psycho, not And she own, can hold her, her own. own. She Absolutely, is a dude. solid, <laughs> solid, solid woman. Yeah, oh brother. my God. And I'm so honored to call her uh, a friend. And yeah, she is just as grounded as grounded as can be. And she's mama bear or mama. And she is uh, incredibly solid. And so I can imagine she can definitely hold her own in that space for sure. Yeah, brother. Yeah. Have you ever woke up and really just knew that you needed to train and work out that day, but were just dreading it because you didn't know what to do and you didn't want to put the thought and use the brain cells to come up with a program? And even though I've spent most of my career in health and fitness and designing so many programs, I still get that way because I'm human. And oftentimes when I'm focusing more in my business or in developing my relationships, oftentimes there's certain things that take more of a backseat. And so a lot of times this is why I'll hire a coach or even perform someone else's program or do a program that I've already created and run through it again. And that is why I wanted to share today Kettlebell Lifestyle, which is the nine-week movement program fit for both beginners and intermediate lifters. If you're someone who wants to not only learn this tool, but follow a program that's been tested by... I think we've got now over like 24 to 26 countries of people from around the world participating in the program with great success. And you don't want to think about what to do. This is a follow along program and it's done so in phases. I'm not going to keep you in the high performance phase like so many programs do year round. One of the things I've learned as an athlete who's been injured many times is we need to undulate. We need to respect the seasons of life. And if all we're doing every single time we enter the gym is trying to compete and do high high ass kicker stuff, there's a very low likelihood that many of us will last the duration of that. And so in this program, we're going to go through the base foundation phase. We're going to build up your energy. We're going to build skill. And then ultimately, in the final phase, we're going to build high levels of performance abilities. It's such a fun program. If this sounds at all like something that you're interested in, everyone from the path will get 20% off on the program. All you got to do is go to kettlebelllifestyle.com and use code PATH20 and you can get Kettlebell Lifestyle and you can follow. This is the next best thing that anyone could get to working with me in person. So check it out today, kettlebelllifestyle.com. Now let's get back to the show. So when you think back, what sticks out to me in some of the medicine work that I've done is like, they're all powerful in their own regard. And oftentimes the preparation that I do leading up to it, or most always the more prep that I do, oftentimes I find the more that I get out of it, the more space that I create, et cetera. In that way or in that perspective, there's still certain ceremonies or certain medicines that stick out to me as like landmark experiences. What for you, that was early on, you know, that experience with Tosh uh, and Wheatsy, what stands out is maybe like one of the next major landmarks and what did you learn and what did you take away from it? Yeah. The next major landmark would be that first ayahuasca session. Okay. You know, and, and, and cause psilocybin had really shown me so much, but again, not having reference point, what's beautiful about the contrast of a different medicine is, is it has its own unique flavor, its sure. own unique design, its own unique ability to teach you things. Like I, one of ayahuasca's most unique and amazing things is it can teach you to surrender like no other medicine can. A lot of people are like, why the fuck do I need to learn how to surrender? It's like, yeah. Well, at times it can be quite useful, right? <laughs> like quite useful. If you're sick, great time to surrender to it. You know, great time to just fucking lay low, drink some bone broth and just say, okay, I'm sick. I'm going to move through this. Divorce, job loss, great time to surrender, feel all the feels and then plan. All right. From that, having experienced the grief of that loss, 
what do I want to do going forward? Mm. You know, you don't stay bitter. You don't blame, you know, like that fucking bitch who, who took all my money or any of that shit. Or you're just like, okay, this is let me learn from this. Lose the job. There's no one to blame, right? You have accountability for sure. Like, hey, I was a part of that. Um, but it's feeling that and you can, you get a lot easier time getting there if you surrender to the fact that this happened, right? Eckhart Tolle talks about that resistance. Then on the other side of the scale, the first level is acceptance, then enjoyment, and then enthusiasm, which means to be in God, right? Mm. Uh, and I love that model, but surrender, it takes surrendering to get to acceptance. So surrender in its own way, and it, and it can be taught very gently or it can be taught as harsh as it gets. It's <laughs> one of the other unique properties that I have. Like, she can be stern as fuck or incredibly gentle. And yeah, I'd say starting that path was, was really, really special. And it was the right place because I had Weetzi with me. And yeah, that first vision, you know, I, I first vision with Tosh was just like nothing else, nothing else. Changed my, changed our relationship. Absolutely changed our relationship going forward. Because now, even if I was stuck in the old pattern of needing to be right, I remembered that vision. And I'd say, there's probably something in here where she's trying to love me <laughs> and I can't fucking see it right now. And I'm heated. And I just feel like I'm really mad and I need a break. Give me a second, you know, like a little kid, take a little break and then come back and like, all right, you might be right about this. What's going on? You know, like letting, surrendering to not needing to be right. And that really moved a lot for us. Um, it took me probably 10 journeys to realize that I had a problem with bad drugs. Huh. 10 ayahuasca sessions, you know, bear was in the womb. It was 2015. And even though I'd scaled down significantly on cocaine and, uh, which she was not at all down with. Um, so if I did it, it would be like a bump here or there hidden, you know, <laughs> like also not good to hide shit from your partner. And, uh, and scaled significantly down on alcohol, but every now and then I get wasted still. It's, it's like hard to, hard to stop that if you don't see what's driving you in, in that situation. And um, I had gone solo to, where did I go first? I went to Peru, Lima, Peru, then uh, Medellin, Colombia, and then all over Costa Rica, and then uh, a few different places in Panama. Wow. And while Bear was in the womb, I was looking, I thought I was looking for a place to potentially move because I had seen enough within our own government to make me think maybe I get out of here. Once I was there, I saw enough in those governments <laughs> to say, we've got it fucking made in the US. It ain't perfect. But I had a lot of gratitude for, for this country. So anyway, you know, while I was there, I realized some things make it really hard to be there. Other places like Panama, you got a shit ton of expats. They're like, welcome you with open arms and it's easy to, to move. But there was, for, for various reasons, none of them stuck out as this is a place where I want to raise my kids. This is a place where I want to move my family. And once I kind of realized that in any single location, then I'd see where their medicine groups, you know, and I found a place in, uh, in Santa Elena, it's a mountain town outside of Medellin through Facebook, reached out to guys like, yeah, man, we'd love to have you. You've got people in from Switzerland and, and South Africa, like all over the world, right? Small group from all over the world that just happened to be, you know, traveling to Medellin. And then you got an hour taxi ride to Santa Elena and that's a mountain town. It's not in the Amazon, not by any means. But what's cool about this particular group of people, you know, the shaman there are called Taitas. And the main Taitas, the, the oldest elders, can't travel. So what they do is they all drink amongst themselves with the young Taitas and the old. And the old Taitas bring them the word. And the word is all of the important downloads from the, the, the wisdom traditions that need to be seated in humanity in this moment. Hmm. And the young ones take the word and that's the first cup you have. It's not alcohol. It's not, it's not a ayahuasca. It's, it's the word. 
the first medicine you're served before you get to drink the medicine. And that alone was worth it. That alone was worth the trip. And then um, we used, it's called Yahe, not Ayahuasca in, uh, in, in Colombia. Colombia. And so we drink the first uh, Yahe. And then uh, we have another opportunity at around 1230 or one after we have uh, some name. And he was like, it's the, it's the tree of a thousand ants. And I was like, the tree of a thousand ants? Like, why do you, why do you call it that? He's like, well, it feels like a thousand ants are biting you. <laughs> I was like, uh, all right, I'm in, but what's the purpose of that? And he goes, you're going to think of a negative emotion, you know, like anything. It just could be anger. It could be, another, oh yeah, mine's anger. And he's like, and the, the, this plant will help eat that away. But it'll, it'll show you why. It does nothing dissolves without you acknowledging it. You know, I was like, okay. Um, and then they talked a bit about alcoholism and drug use and, and uh, Yahya's unique ability to help with that. And tons of judgment came up in me right away, like of, of other people's shit, other people's addictions. And just immediately, it was, it's funny in hindsight, cause it was like, nah, that's not me. That's not me. You know, that's for everyone else. <laughs> like, I remember having that thought, like what a unique thought. Like if it wasn't me, why the fuck would I be thinking that? I just like, this is going to be good, you know? Uh, but I had that thought. And then one of the questions I had had was why won't my sister drink ayahuasca with me? Oh. And I had fucking all the visions of every time I was shit faced in front of her hundreds of times where I'm throwing up over a balcony, asking her to leave. I don't want her to see me like this in my fucking chonies, you know, um, from 13 years old all the way till, you know, twenties and thirties. And I had introduced all sorts of shit. I remember smoking ketamine laced weed with her. You know, we'd get the liquid. I'd, I'd soak cannabis, sun dry it and fucking smoke that. It smelled like burnt gasoline. Don't try this at home, kids. It's no good. And, uh, and, uh, and she was down. We called it queed, you know, and she was down. She'd always said yes. And then at a certain point, she could see what I couldn't. That yeah. This is a bottomless well that I'm trying to fill with medication that won't be filled, right? It can't be filled. And, um, so she backed away from it, you know, intelligently. And what the, what that medicine was showing me was a, I had a problem, but B that's why she's not down to try it. Cause this is just some new drug I didn't. And I can't get it through to her because I've burnt that candle out with her, you know, the trust around any medicine, because everything up until this point has just been to escape. Mm. And it was, it was fucking hard, but it was also beautiful. And then as I came through the other end of that, it was, okay, I get to drink for us. You know, I'll drink for the two of us. And it's funny. My sister had that exact thought. She said, I don't think I'm ever going to do ayahuasca, but I think you're drinking for both of us. Wow. Yeah. And I took two, two and a half years off with no drinks. And then finally I felt like, and it never really vibed with me on the AA talk about genetics and shit like that. Clearly, you know, Native Americans can't process it as well, things like that. But, but for me, I didn't think like the problem is genetic. The problem is me. And so I wondered, could I have a relationship with alcohol that wouldn't, that wouldn't be destructive, you know, where I could, cause it is other than caffeine and coffee, it's the world's drug. It's the world's way to celebrate, you know? And I just thought, can I, can I enter this with the same level of respect that I have with ayahuasca? And the answer is yes. You know, it was for me personally you know, having taken the break, you know, and really fine tuned. And then, you know, of course, being a dad, that changes a lot too, because it's like, you know, <laughs> if I'm hung over the next day and it's just me, I'll pound ibuprofen or whatever dog shit pill I got to take <laughs> to make me snap out of it. But you can't, you know, I, you can't half-ass being dad the next day because you want to right. be an asshole and stay up all night, you know, and that's really helped, you know, anchor that in. But um, yeah, that, you know, I have so much, so much gratitude 
for ayahuasca. And that really was like the firmest shift in our relationship because the one concern Tosh had when we started dating was like, this guy's got a problem with alcohol and he's, and he's, can't see it. He can't see it at all, you know? And, and it wasn't a problem like, all right, drink every day. But when I did, it was fucking full on, you know? And it might've been once a month at that point being with her, but it was still too much, you know? It's still like, you can't, there's no fucking happy balance point here. And um, that was, that was for sure one of the most, one of the deepest levels of healing that I've had is, is not needing, and then seeing that for what it was too, you know, like the real, what was I covering up? You know, what was the pain or the fear? Uh, And a lot of it's been fear. Like if I I recognized that when I got to on it, I got shit faced one night and I was like, why, why did that happen? And I started to sit with it and meditate on it. I was like, oh, I'm afraid of losing this job. I was afraid of losing this job because of my, my previous employer actually got some great synchronicity, but I got fired on a phone call in the airport, a Vegas airport flying to Austin for my interview with Aubrey. <laughs> so one door shut, the next one opened. It was perfectly timed, but they told me like, we're not going to, we can't honor your severance, which was 30 grand. And here I'm like, I might need to loan money, get a loan from my mom if this doesn't work out and on it. Oh, fuck. Just to get a U-Haul to move back to the fucking garage with a one and a half, two-year-old. Right, like I'm not looking at that, you know, happy. So I want to pause real quick right there. So in that moment when you were going from that call to the meeting with Aubrey, obviously a short amount of time had passed, but at the same time, I would imagine it felt like a long amount of time. So in that moment when you were in the shit and you didn't know if everything was going to crumble, how did you navigate it? Beautiful question. I won't mention the name of the company because even though I'm not salty about it, I don't want to give these guys any, sure. any, any love. It was a binaural beats company and they were my only sponsor. They paid me 90 grand a year. They really allowed me to podcast full time early on. Like, you know, podcasting now, if you had a spot, that's a, that's oh a my unicorn. God. It's a fucking unicorn. They don't exist, folks. They might exist for Rogan, um, but not, nobody's paid me 90 grand a year since. <laughs> and, uh, um, but that set my career off. And then of course that led to going to paleo effects, meeting guys like you, mind pump brought me out and I got to meet Aubrey. Uh, Aubrey and I shared the same flight back and he's like, you need to come work for me at on it. And you know, well, fucking create your own job. You can take over the on a podcast and all this. And it sounded great, but also we had a lot going on in the West coast. Tasha's family's from Vegas, lower cost of living. I'm a drive to my parents in the Bay area. And we didn't know anyone in Texas. So I used the binaural beats on the plane and I meditate. Cause I realize if I show up, I'm not the same guy he met on the airplane if I show up in need or if right. I show up frantic, you know? So I knew I had to find my center and I just released and released and released and kept finding my center over and over again. I wasn't stuffing the anger or stuffing the fear. I just let it fucking well up and I just find my center again. And as I practiced that on the three hour flight, when I got off the plane, I actually felt better than I did before the phone call. Significantly better than I did prior to the phone call. I was beaming. And, you know, Aubrey's great because he's like, you know, originally he's like, come out, we'll do a ceremony together, you know? And then <laughs> he's like, in the moment he goes, he's like, I know this kid can do ceremony. I know he'll be fine in ceremony. I want to see if there's any darkness. So we got drunk and, uh, and it was hilarious. That was his interview. Like he wanted to make sure that I didn't have some weird takes because he'd hung out with a lot of fighters. The second they start drinking, you know, the angry dragon comes out yeah. and he didn't see any of that. And, and I was in, uh, so yeah. <laughs> But it was through meditation and, and really just sitting with that stuff. You know, part of grieving is acknowledging it's there and not stuffing it away. It's to actually feel all the feels. And I could feel fucking tons of rage, you know, and mm. like, because it's not just me. It's my, I'm, it's a family I'm supporting right now, you know, and the, the, 
it was just a slap in the face to say no to the severance. Like the severance would have made shit cool. I can find other, another job, whatever. So it was, it was kind of a shitty thing, but it ended up being the most beautiful because it, by, by nature, it forced me to be my best. And it forced me to really look at it and to, to, to alchemize that on a three-hour flight. Like it's the only thing I could do. Right? There's nothing else to do but that. And, um, you know, fucking amazing time with Ob and the crew out here. And, you know, no, worked it on it with them, ran the on it podcast, director of human optimization, all that good shit. We both leave on it, starts fit for service. I'm one of the main coaches in that. So like the progression has just been uh, incredible, but you know, that's kind of been the deal as I've leaned into my inner knowing and listening to the intuition. And then when I don't know, just sitting with it and asking whole worlds have opened up for me, you know, and it's, mm. it's everything dispensa teaches and shit like that, but it's, it's trusting in that inner voice that's led me from one place to the next, always in the exact right moment where I needed and always for greater and greater levels of joy and abundance and, and the whole fucking thing. You know, like it's, it's been fucking rad. Wow. Dude, that's amazing. And so there's a few things that come up with that. So one of the things that I'm curious about is, and you've kind you, you have touched on it for sure, but I would be curious if you could maybe like distill this down and since then, like, I know you've sat with 30 grams of mushroom and you've had a wildest 5-MEO experience, like so many things. What keeps you coming back to medicine? It's a good question. Um, you know, when I had the dark night of the soul and my hell experiences on 30 grams of mushrooms, and then again with the, the reactivations of 5-MEO DMT, I pretty, I mean, I, I, I remember like, you know, some of the old... Oh, geez, you know, the Mount Rushmore of psychedelics saying like, when you get the call from God, hang up the phone. You know, I was like, <laughs> I should have hung up the phone. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hang up the phone right now. It was overwhelming, you know, and like, like Terrence saying, you know, at a certain point, the mushrooms turned on me, you know, and I was like, motherfucker, they turned on me, you know, like just fully like feeling into that, what they were thinking, what they were knowing. I, I viscerally understood it. So I took some time, you know, I took a year off from any big journeys and uh, it was my first work with Paul where I really started to alchemize that, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, and really it was the work with Paul uh, without medicine, just, just consciously just talking to him about this experience that really started to bridge the gap. But I think, you know, there's been so many things, the thing, and it's the reason I wanted to heal that relationship and not just hang up the phone was because I've had so many gifts come from these journeys, Mm. right? My wife and I had a shared experience where we both, you know, closing circle happens, you know, you're, she's sharing. She's like, yeah, I had this really beautiful vision of Kyle holding a baby and me holding the two of them. And I was like, stop, hold the phone. I'd had the exact same fucking vision. And I'd read about that, you know, in, in uh, Jeremy Narby's book, DNA and the cosmic serpent, but I never experienced it. And I was like, damn, that just happened. And then a month later we see that it's a boy and that we're going to be parents. We were living together. It was awesome, but we weren't, you know, no talks of marriage at that point. We both knew we wanted kids, but then it was like, oh, we're going to be parents. And then, holy shit, I'm going to be a dad. And my whole journey was working through the stuff with my dad and then coming to terms with me becoming a dad. And, uh, you know, it's so, there's no way to measure the value of that. It's impossible. Right. And we were pregnant with Bear a month after that. So it's like, there's just no way. Uh, Bear, you know, I communicated with his soul. I've done that with both my kids. They, he came in, his soul came in, and I could feel this consciousness next to me. And I was like, uh, Are you who I think you are? And he said, Yeah, um, my name's going to be Bear. I'm going to be a boy. And I was like, Whoa. And that, it's, 
you know, with this crazy, the world that we're in, like, hey, choose whoever you want to be as an adult. Um, but I think if you had reached levels of consciousness that are that deep, you would remember, oh, I chose this. I fucking chose it. I chose my parents. I chose my body. I chose every fucking thing in it. I chose the design of the game board before I landed here. You know, that was the case with him. That was the case with Wolf. Wolf, I had visions of her with brown eyes and brown hair. Well before. I remember you, before. you sharing four, that with me. Four fucking years yeah. before she came to us. And um, she's just a little fucking angel. And same thing. Her consciousness came in. I felt, I, I could feel pink. It's a weird thing to say that. I could feel pink all around me, but I'm in pitch black. But I'm, it's also pink at the same time with my eyes closed. And I just sensed this femininity coming, like radiating. And I was like, whoa, because I thought we were going boy, boy, girl for some odd reason. I had that stuck in my head. And uh, she tells me, she's like, hey, I'm going to be your little girl coming next. And, and my name's a wolf. Just fucking floodgates. And uh, she took a long time. And part of my journey is in between that, that first conversation with her in 2016 was like, hey, where the fuck are you? Mm. And the thing that kept coming through was her requirements were different than bears. And that we hadn't met those requirements yet. And she required a lot, you know, no doubt. So much so that I'll probably won't even talk about it until she's 18. You know, a lot of requirements and a lot of changes uh, and really a lot of healing in Tosh and my relationship. Massive healing above anything else for us to, to you know, circle around through open and refine each other in a way that was greater than before. And... um that's been incredible, you know, and, I, and I've seen different things um, that would come to fruition, you know, not just my kids, but different, different things in my life that would come into being that, you know, that's the level of guidance, I guess, like even rewinding how I met Aubrey, I was drinking for three nights in Vegas with Dan Hardy, you know, Dan Hardy, the fighter from, yeah. from uh, UK. So yeah. he lived in Vegas for a while and he was actually at my first ayahuasca journey huh. in the Bay Area. And I was like, hey, Dan, I moved to Vegas. Do you know anybody out here? He's like, I got the lady. She flies in Shipibo Shaman from Peru. And I'm like, dope. I get to her house. It's the exact same floor plan, exact same builder as the house we're renting in Vegas. I'm like, this is fucking weird. I know this house inside and out. I don't know the furniture, but it's the exact same thing. And I was like, all right, I felt comfortable, right? Huh. And um, the shaman was just incredible. You know, first night's really tough. It's a lot on my relationship. Second night's a lot on uh, where's Wolf and just so much of needing to release that and be patient. And, and understanding the cosmic design does involve the stars. It involves everything. Like the day that person comes, the exact location, all of that, because the interconnectivity matters. And I used to be scoff at people talking about astrology and shit like that. And it's not like I follow it now, but Gene Keys, uh, human design, things like that really make a lot more sense to me having had this experience. But what the vision showed me was, I mean, I, I, could, I looked up at the ceiling and the ceiling went away, just vanished like invisible. And I could see Orion and then the earth spun. And I saw something I didn't understand, like a different constellation. And this was telling me when she was going to be born. And I couldn't map it because I don't know what time of year that was, you know, but I was like, why is this important? And, and, it, and right as I remember thinking that in my head, like, why the fuck is this important? The stars, it, it just, the memory, all of this is connected. All of this absolutely matters. Where the planets are matters, where the moon is matters. And, and I still don't know that inside and out by any means, but I know that's, that's a truth for me. And so when she came 4th of July, 2020, balls deep in a fucking pandemic land, balls deep into the destruction of the West on fucking Independence Day. It was a full moon and all the planets were on fucking one side of the sun. 
all of them. It's like, you can't make this shit up. You know, it's just like, okay, all right. You had a time, you had a date, full moon, your name's Wolf. I get it. I get it. You know, but you know, there's been so many things that have, that have been a gift. And so this, this third night, I kind of ironed out all the stuff with Tosh, ironed out a lot of stuff with Wolf. Third night's just work-related. It's easy peasy. And a lot of people get pissed at you when you're like, you shouldn't use plant medicines for work-related stuff. It's like, fuck off, dude. Use them for everything. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a way to understand how to do things better. And if the world, if our business leaders were doing ayahuasca with business in mind, you think it'd be a little bit better? <laughs> I think it'd be a little bit better. Um, so I remember asking, I didn't have a lot of money. And I'm asking like, should I go to Paleo FX? And I was like, definitively, yes, you're going to go. I'm like, but I don't have enough money. The money will sort itself out is the answer. Like, but I already know everything that these guys are talking about. I've read Rob Wolf's books, fucking Mark Sisson's. I'm not going to learn anything from these guys in 20 minutes and them talking on stage. Right. You're not going to learn. You're going to meet people. Wow. And I was like, wow. Okay. Huh. All right. I'm going to meet people. And so the next day I look up the flights, they could drop 50% off on Southwest. And I'm fucking booked my flight. I get a call from Sal from Mind Pump. And he's like, hey man, you're going to come with us to Paleo FX. We got two Airbnbs. You're going to be doing on the couch. You have a place to stay. We got a rental car. Don't worry about it. They even paid for my fucking food when I went, right? Yeah. Like totally took care of me. I love Sal. And uh, while I was there, met a dude from on it, Connor. And, uh, you know, he's like, you want to smoke DMT tonight? And I was like, fuck it. Let's go. Also don't recommend that. <laughs> so good DMT with strangers in a new town. Um, but it was great. It bonded us. And he was like, who do you want to meet while you're here? And I was like, I'd love to meet Aubrey. It's like done. So got to meet Aubrey at a dinner. We hit it off, but it was short. And then through no coincidence, we're on the same flight back to Vegas, me, him and John Wolf, where he was looking to open the second on it gym. Oh shit. And he saved a seat. It was Southwest. So we could sit next to each other, saved a seat. And we talked to everything, fighting, fasting, open relationship, just everything in between. And he's like, you're, you're going to move to Austin and work with me at on it. And I was like, that's all right. I don't know. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds cool, but he's like, no, it's going to happen. And he's like, and I'm taking you and your wife to Burning Man. And I was like, well, that's for sure. I'm down for that. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, and then coming out here, like the, literally the door shuts while I'm fucking in the airport before I get on the flight. Hey, you're fired without severance. Sorry. Goodbye. You know, meditate the whole flight, get here. And just, and just and from my center point, I'm able to be me and have a brilliant experience. And he's like, when can you start? And I'm like, it's funny you asked that because this happened. And he's like, holy shit, are you serious? He's like, I had no idea. And I was like, that's kind of the point of me meditating for three hours. But <laughs> dude, that brings me back. I remember in that moment, we were going to shoot some type of like MMA conditioning program. Like I was going to have you be one of the main athletes in it. And then I remember you giving me the call. You're like, Mike, I would normally, I know I agreed to this. I would normally totally do this. And I got this thing lined up and dude, that just brought me back to that. I remember that phone call. I was at a gas station. I was like, dude, you got to do what you got to do. And it's understandable and fucking hell. Yeah. Wow. That just brought me right back to that. Yeah. yeah. So really it's about guidance for me. You know, wow. like at, at this point, um, I've done a lot of the healing work and you know, nobody's a finished product. I don't think I'll ever be a finished product. I don't infinite layers of the game. You're never finished. And, um, that said, I've, I've, healed what needed to be healed. And now it's about exploration and it's about continued guidance because there's always questions, right? You meet these certain forks in the road and it's, which way do I want to go? What, what is it that I actually want to create here? And does it, does it leave me more whole than when I started? And all those that I'm around from my inner self to the self that's family, to the self that's tribe, to the self that's the US, to the self that's the globe, to the self that's fucking the entire cosmos and really starting to, to navigate that. And you know, what's been beautiful. A lot of people say this, like, can't you just track that? 
by yourself? Can't you just answer those questions? And I used to scoff at that. Like, you don't clearly you've never done plant medicines, you know? And then over time through ongoing work with meditation and Emily Fletcher, who, who does oh, Ziva yeah. meditation, just a fucking You connected lady. me with her work. I did that program. The, it was like 50, Ziva meditation, like yeah, 15 days. That thing is fire. She's incredible, dude. Wow. I told her, I told her, you know, I've said it on the podcast, like, her style of meditation for me is as important as ayahuasca is. And with that practice, that's been such an amazing ongoing piece for me to, to continue to peel layers back, operating from a place of non-stress, you know, which broadens awareness and lets me to see a greater whole. And um, really what I've been able to create from those spaces, and this is something, you know, she's, she's actually working with Joe Dispenza on this right now. <laughs> if you get into these layers of depth from her meditation style. And then you do the manifestation practices from there. What's possible, right? What's possible after you clear all the gunk out. And, um, a lot's possible. You know, like we've got the farm going, we've got 118 acres in Lockhart, all the best people in the world are working there with us. You know, some of our best friends, Eric Vaughn, former EOD in the Navy, just an amazing, amazing guy. He's running it. And, uh, Fox and Brent, just two fantastic guys, head of animal management, head of, head of plant management. And, um, you know, there's Carrie Brumfield. She's my president, you know, like she brought it, she, we brought her in as my boss. And I was like, I love Carrie. And it was just, it was hilarious to me. It was like, oh, this is a weird feeling bringing in somebody to be my boss. And she's the exact fucking human being for that. She's perfect, man. So like there's seeing how that's unfolded has been more proof in the pudding. And really one thing that I found is as long as I have my daily practices, you know, and I can follow the four doctors and really make sure Dr. Quiet is optimal, there's less need for me to do medicines now. So yeah. it, it used to be something where any major decision or any big shift in my life, I, wanna, I would schedule something like, all right, man, in two months, I'll get to iron this out. And now through the practice of meditation and movement principles, I'm able to actually just sit with whatever it is. And a lot comes to light just from that. You know, and, and then what that leaves me with is not needing to ask some of the deeper questions on medicine. It can just be like, here I am. What are we, what have we got in store? And I can actually peek into the future and see what, what lies ahead. What that's bringing up, man, as we're, we're getting, you know, close to closing this out is, you know, we could have done a whole thing on some insights through personal experience on how to prepare and set setting intention, all that prayer, all that sort of stuff. And you touched on a lot of that. What I'm really curious about now, and it, I think it, hits exactly to what you're saying. Let's, let's say, uh, you know, on the medicine, you're doing a lot of healing, a lot of clearing, a lot of letting go, surrendering, all that sort of stuff. Any insights from your experience, addition to what you just said or furthering what you just said on how to stabilize an experience? When you get back after how in your experience and what you've seen, how can we stabilize it? Right. It's a fantastic question. Integration is a word that gets talked about a lot and thrown around. And it needs to be thrown around. It needs to be talked about more because there's not a lot of people integrating these experiences. Yeah. Um, and depending where you go for these experiences, you know, they may have a decent integration program. They may have a great one. I love Soltaras. Yeah. I think they do a phenomenal job, maybe one of the best at, at helping and aiding in the integration process with prompts and journaling and things like that. And today is a nature day, you know, like really telling you like, you know, not you have to follow it to a T, but if you do, you're going to see a lot of results from that. One of them, and integration for me is habit change. It's as simple as like James Clear Atomic Habits. How has this thing changed your life? So it's not just the rad memory. Like if, it, if all I had was the memory <laughs> of seeing Tosh and then I still was an asshole who needed to be right, but it didn't change me. 
cool vision, bro. Cool story. Doesn't do shit, right? If it didn't, and I probably wouldn't beat it. I know she wouldn't have put up with me mm. if I kept arguing with her the way that I used to argue with her. And I know if I kept drinking like a fucking fish and, and blaming everyone else for being upset with me having a good time, then we also wouldn't be together. You know, kids are not kid, no kids, right? So unless it has the ability to change your life, um, there's really no point in doing it. And, and if you understand that it can change your life, then you need to understand how. And it, and it starts with really getting clear on what happened. You know, journaling is a big one. And you know, I used to write trip reports that were like, you know, and then I had the second cup and it, <laughs> it wasn't quite as bitter as the first, but you know, it's like all this fucking detail. Like I'm writing fucking some fable for somebody to read 30 years from now. I was like, no, Dippy, just jot a bullet point down. <laughs> fucking be in nature, jot a bullet point down. Um, the inner garden is the garden. The outer garden is the garden. Like little things like that, that I was learning in my backyard on a 10th of an acre. I was like, okay, that can just put that down. And right when I read it, it brings me back to the ceremony I was in and the full download is awakened, mm. right? Dumbledore does this in, in Harry Potter. He pulls the wand, he pulls the memory out of the wand and puts it in the cauldron. He calls it the pensive, huh. right? The pensive is journaling. It's where you have a ruminating thought, you put pen to pad, it now lives outside your brain. You've given it a place to stay where you can look at it from a bird's eye view and it no longer ruminates inside your head. Then you can contemplate it. You can do other things with it, play with it, mold it, but it's there. And this burning desire to keep thinking about it over and over again, no longer is there. Whatever your downloads were, there, there's usually positives and negatives, right? I felt like shit because of this. I was, uh, you know, really loathing myself for a good part of the journey. Why? What did that feel like? Right? What did you loathe? What did you feel guilt about? And get really clear on that as you use the pensive called journaling. And then from there, you track, right? And then that's all, all the shit that we've been working on in Fit for Service in my own life. A lot of it's like old silly ass football quotes. Yard by yard, life is hard. Inch by inch, life's a cinch, <laughs> right? And uh, another one of Lou Holtz, win. What's important now? What's important now? Check gave me this phenomenal book that I've recommended to fucking thousands of people called Essentialism by Greg McCown. Yep. Greg does a beautiful job of bridging business mind and the power of no into the spirit world. He is fucking just, a, I would love the fucking podcast of that guy. He's incredible. One of the things he says is the original word, the Greek word priority was just that priority. It was non-plural. It wasn't a list of shit you needed to do. It was one fucking thing that mattered. And what I've found through my own experience and through other people is there always is the one thing. What's important now? That's your win. And anything else is a bonus. You might say, but I need to fix my relationship and I need to fix my job and I need to fix. Cool. But one of them is the most important. And when you really get clear on that, that's your singular priority. That's the thing you focus on. And with that wrapped, now the next most important thing, as you feel, will become that. And it's through desire. You know, a lot, we talked briefly about Mark Gaffney. How do I decide which book to read? I've just got 20 of them at a fit for service event. Or how do I decide right. uh, uh, what I want to do now? Or any of these things? It's desire. It's allurement. That's the inner workings. That's eros, which is the underpinning and inner workings of all things driving consciousness. Desire and allurement. It's how the proton, the neutron, and electron find each other through the fucking desire and attraction. And in that, they transcend and include, right? Ken Wilber, they transcend themselves, but they include each individual piece. When they become the atom, they don't lose being a proton, lose being an electron. They're still that, but they've also formed something greater, right? And it moves up to molecules and all the way fucking up through the cosmos, attraction, allurement. And if we really get clear on that, we know our center, then we know, like the question that Anahata always asks, will this leave me more whole than when I started? 
a night of blow at a strip club does not leave me more whole than when I started, right? Uh, I may be depleted after an ayahuasca journey, but odds are if it's with the right people, the right set and setting, it will leave me more whole than when I started, guaranteed. And even though I'm depleted, it's not the same depletion. You know, when I kick my ass in the gym, that's not the same level of depletion. It's something that's going to ultimately build me up, right? Yeah. And um, I think getting very clear on that and then not, you know, really taking whatever baby steps need to be there. You know, you plant the seed, you don't soak the fucking thing one day. You just give it a little water and a little sun each day and give it the time necessary with patience to grow. Uh, a lot of, a lot of um, Dispenza stuff has been super important. He did a, a really cool video on Facebook. I, mean, I haven't been off Facebook. It shows how dated this was probably like eight years, five years ago when I went, right, right when I got to on it. He said, how do you, in manifestation, which could be life change or it could be getting your house, whatever, it's all the things, right? Just looking at the scale of that in manifestation, how do you balance intention with surrender, right? Because they're super important. Both are absolutely necessary. The person who's caught up in intention and doing and getting shit done, the type A guy who I work a lot with and you work a lot with, mm-hmm. they have to know surrender. Because without that, there's burnout. Uh, and there's no joy, right? So you're just fucking, you get the thing you wanted and it's like, now I want the fucking next thing. Go, 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 right? And a lot of the world operates that way. The, the unconscious king, the unconscious warrior. How do I balance intention with surrender? It doesn't mean you give up all goals and renunciate all possessions and do all that. That's a path. It's not for me. And it's not being in the fucking world, right? Emily talks a lot about that. The path, her meditation style is for the householder, the person who has a job and has kids. It's not for the monk. That's mm. a different fucking deal, right? We're not monks. And um, really, you say you set your intention because, and your intention is through fucking desire. It's as simple as that. What is it that I desire to create? And surrender, we then surrender the how it comes and the when it comes. Therm dispensa. We surrender how it comes because if you're too fucking specific, you don't leave any room for the quantum or for source to gift you the thing. Right? I knew the requirements for the person that I wanted to be with after uh, it ended in college. I knew the requirements, and I also knew that I had to embody those. And when I did, Tosh was there, and I was blown away. It's like, holy shit, man, you're the fucking one we had met before. I had no fucking idea, you know? Um, we've been living together for 11 years, you know? Two kids, fucking life is amazing. Surrender the how, you surrender the when, because you trust that if it's already so. You know, like every mystic really teaches that. This is the way Jesus taught. Jesus existed or not. This is the way it's written originally through the mystic's eyes is that you pray as if it is already so. Mm. Amen. It is done. It is done. It is done. Right? So, so, and then that you match the, the thought form electrical with the feeling magnetic. And that's the electromagnetic field that you use to pull in from the quantum using Dispenza's words. So when you think it through and agree with it and you match the feeling as if it is already so, how does it feel having a new house? I've been doing this for the last couple of years. You know, I wanted land uh, since lockdowns. I wanted land. I wanted to grow our own food. I wanted all these things. We're building our house right now in the land in Lockhart. I've walked through that house many times already. We haven't even fucking put the, we're starting concrete Monday. Wow. I've walked through that house many times. I felt the feeling in each room. I've chased my kids through that house already. Right. I've sat on the fucking star deck and watched the sun, the sunset. Uh, I've looked at a spotting scope, seeing if there's any coyotes out there that I want to fucking pick off. Like I've <laughs> done all the things through that house many multiple times and I've felt those things. Right. And that's how we make it real. It's not just thinking it, but actually feeling into it. And it, it can be hokey for people who haven't tried this shit, but it's a pretty firm knowing. And with what Dispenza's done, like it's it's trackable. It's scientifically trackable. 
And that's a lot of the stuff that Emily's working on, a lot of stuff that anybody, you know, entrepreneurs, people that have become successful know this, even if they haven't practiced it. In some way, intuition has brought them there. Desire led them to create the thing they created. And with that, uh, some guiding principles, but it's the knowing, like even like a, uh, from a fighting standpoint, John Jones in his prime, Anderson Silva in his prime, Habib, still right to this day, right? Never once did they think they're going to lose that fight. Mm-hmm. All they knew was victory, right? And that firm belief was shown. It doesn't mean they didn't have to work for it or be incredibly talented or any of that, but that's one uni- universal principle of a champion in order to win a championship belt, which I never did, was just that. I've become a champion in different ways, a champion of my own life. But with that, it is the knowing, not the, not the wavering belief. It's, it's unwavering. You're not sitting there going, eh, well, I might get the house, I might not, or I might have the job, or I might have, hopefully I get my wife one day. If it's there, it's always out in front of you. You know, Paul Check has the echo test. I want to lose 20 pounds and feel great in the Grand Canyon. What yeah. goes back? I want to lose 20 pounds and feel great. You're always in the state of wanting it, never in the state of achieving it. So when you say, I've lost 20 pounds and feel great, and you let that come back and you actually start to feel it, you're going to fucking lose 20 pounds and feel great. Guaranteed. Doesn't mean you don't have to work for it. Doesn't mean you know, the secret magically fucking vanishes 20 pounds. No, you start making better decisions. You start going to bed on time. You start moving a little bit more. And all of those things equate to you losing 20 pounds and feeling great. And it's you know, simple practices from, from the body, like that last example, all the way to articulating and building the life of your dreams. Like this has fucking been the construction and the architecture of my life through and through, you know, and, it, and it's, and it's beautiful to see that continue to expand. It's beautiful to see our, my relationships continue to be more and more fulfilling. Like last night was so great. I remember Alex telling me, he's like, I gotta, yeah, dude, Friendsgiving was fucking awesome. Yeah. The kids were having a blast. The adults were having a blast. I was playing with Wolfie most of the night, but it was still just a shit ton of fun. And uh, even with her, you know, like she's a shit ton of fun. And to, to see that and to feel that, especially, you know, like when I, when I contrast that with my life growing up and what my family was like and things like that and the, the lack of income or, the, or even the having of income, it's beautiful to see that we're not beholden to our past. We can fucking, we really do, we can write it. We can be an actor, but we can also be the director and the producer. Oh man, thank you so much for sharing that, brother. That means so much to me. And one of the things I, I, and you know this, but I want to voice it here because one, you inspire the hell out of me through the way that you live. And I mean that from my heart. And I've got so many examples in my life and how you've shown up for me. And I'm going to just briefly share one because it it's still blows me away. And I started in the beginning saying that. And that was, you know, what you've created, community and all this sort of stuff. But you fucking live it and you embody it. And when we were in that ice storm, in Texas, I was here for that. And what was supposed to be a few day trip ended up me being here, I think just under two weeks. And you took me in and you fed me. And not only did you take me in, but you took in other families and you've always treated me like family. But that moment then I still, I can't even tell you how many prayers I've said, thank you for that. And so when I look at the family that I'm growing and the man that I want to show up at and the man that I am showing up at for my family, you have always been a constant inspiration for me. And that ice storm, when you took us in, man, and just always have loved me like a brother, like I've always wanted to say thank you for that. And uh, so when I see you knowing where you came from and being, you know, every time we check in and we get to drop in with each other, I get to get 
caught up with where you're at. And last night when we were hanging out and just hearing the things you're excited about and all that, like it genuinely fills me up with so much love and excitement, man. So once again, man, I'm so grateful for you and I'm so happy you are in my life. So thank you for today, man. And thank you for everything. Thank you, brother. You are my brother. I love you, Mike. Love you too, my man. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow the podcast on Apple and leave a review. It means a lot. We all have a path and I'd love to hear how this podcast has inspired you in some way to live yours.